Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Bridge Bank. Be safe. Venture wisely. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, the new problem for an Uber Grubhub marriage and making sense of senseless stock markets. But first, the pandemic didn't go away. Seriously, it might not be top of mind right now, given the ongoing protests, but lots of people continue to get sick and die. And in some major states, the infection rate is actually climbing. The good news? We've learned lots of lessons from the last three months, which should help us in the fight ahead while we collectively wait for therapeutics and vaccines. But the bad news is that our distraction from what we all thought until last week was the biggest story of our lifetimes, well, that that could lead to more problems. So that was the sound of some protests near the White House last night, and it reflects two things. First, the obvious pain and frustration over racial inequalities and police brutality. Second, that America may need to prepare for a surge in coronavirus infections. The vast majority of protesters this past weekend did appear to be wearing masks, which is certainly helpful, but they also were shouting, which can put extra droplets into the air, and also were often crying from tear gas, which can do the same. And almost no one, including the police, were social distancing. The reason people were there was obviously far more important than why people were partying at Lake of the Ozarks one weekend earlier. But as we and public health officials have said repeatedly, the virus does not care about personal politics. Tom Frieden, who led the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention under President Obama, told Axios that he believes there will be another 20,000 coronavirus deaths within the next month. The question now is how America handles it, or if we even care to. In 20 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios healthcare reporter Sam Baker. But first, this. Bridgebank knows the ins and outs of business ups and downs and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. Bridgebank has been dedicated to providing financial solutions to sponsor-backed emerging technology and growth companies for nearly two decades through its national network of banking teams and offices. Bridgebank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridgebank, be safe, venture wisely. We're joined now by Axios' Sam Baker. Let's start here with what should seem to be obvious. Lots of states and cities are starting to open up. We're seeing pictures of people at restaurants and at beaches and obviously people protesting in the streets all next to each other. But we're not past the pandemic, correct? No, we definitely are not. Nothing ended and in a way nothing changed. You know, there's a lot that we've gotten better at in terms of dealing with the coronavirus, but like the virus itself didn't get weaker. We still don't have a particularly good treatment. We still don't have a vaccine. So we're sort of in a very similar situation to the one that we've been in this whole time, which is a pretty bad situation. Does the fact that we're seeing groups of people in close proximity to each other, sometimes with masks, sometimes not, is this just pandemic fatigue from your point of view, or is it a lack of public officials? officials continuing to bang the drums? I think there's a couple of components to it. Certainly part of it is quarantine fatigue. Also, as the weather's gotten nicer, you know, even people who are taking this seriously are starting to say to themselves, I got to get out of my house. I got to find a way to do something. And the other part of it is there is a responsible way to do that. As we've learned more about the virus, if you are with the people in your household and you're outside and you're wearing your mask, you can photograph as a group and maybe that'll look bad, but that's probably actually safe because, you know, as we learn more about this, we learn outside is better than inside. Masks are more effective than maybe we thought before. There's multiple components to it. You wrote this morning that battling this virus has taught us a lot about what does and doesn't work. When you think back to discussions we had in March and things that were being said, if we were to do this all over again, if there was to be an outbreak, what are some of the key lessons about what does and doesn't work as well as we might have once thought? I think if we were doing 
it over again, the guidance on masks would be different. It couldn't quite be the opposite because part of the reason that the CDC was telling people not to wear masks is there was a shortage. So healthcare workers didn't have enough. So you still got to work around that. But that is definitely something we've learned that masks are more important than we thought. Another big lesson that people pointed out to me was we probably were a little bit too quick or too aggressive in canceling non-coronavirus care. You know, hospitals just pretty much shut down anything that wasn't COVID-related. Again, at the time it was made, that decision made sense. There was some logic to it. We were afraid of our hospitals being overrun, but that didn't end up happening. And we feel like now people probably postponed a lot of care that they really needed. Then there's obviously a lot of things that nursing homes and assisted living facilities should have done. We're starting to see rising infection rates in certain states, including some large states such as Texas. You talked about how the hospitals didn't ultimately get overrun. Is there any reason from your perspective to believe that that could ultimately happen in certain places where it hasn't happened yet? Or do we feel that even though cases are rising, they're not going to rise to that extent? We don't really know. It's a great question, but it's one that public health officials in those states are asking themselves or should be asking themselves every day. And it's going to be just sort of a careful calibration as this moves forward. As case counts move up, you'll start to see hospitalizations move up and you will have some of the same concerns about hospitals being overrun. We just need to sort of be ready to react to that and be ready to, you know, maybe hold off certain procedures, but not others, maybe restart some of the emergency capacity that we built up and then didn't feel like we needed. We will see subsequent waves, a second wave, a third wave, a fourth wave. The only question is to their size, and it is a question. No one can know. So let's ask about that. And I'm particularly interested in the context of these protests that we've seen kind of in in so many U.S. cities and these large, large groups of people. Is there a reason to expect, not just believe, but to expect that these protests ultimately, one of the outcomes of them from a health perspective, will be pockets of outbreak and infection because you do have so many people, not just in close proximity, but in close proximity yelling, which you know puts extra droplets into the air. Yeah, and that's the main reason to expect more cases. Being outside does help mitigate the virus's spread, so that's something. But as you said, when people are in close proximity and you're yelling or coughing or tearing up, which with pepper spray, tear gas, and protests, we're seeing all three of those three things. You've got more droplets coming out of people's mouths. If you're not wearing a mask, I think there's every reason to expect that we will see clusters of new infection in these cities. It sounds like this is what you're saying, but correct me if I'm wrong, is that if we do get other outbreaks, if we get that so-called second wave, maybe not over the summer, but maybe when the weather starts to cool down in the fall or early winter, is it your belief that the lessons we've learned over the past three months will make us better prepared or will we not be? Will we find ourselves in November back where we were last March? Well, we definitely are better prepared in the sense that we know a lot more about what to do and we are more able to do some things we always knew we needed to do, testing being the main one. But that's as much about trying to sort of contain outbreaks in the early stages as it is respond once they get out of hand. Yes, we are better prepared than we were before. We can do things we couldn't do before. That's good and means that we should be able to keep a lid on things, but it's still a very contagious virus. We're still not even remotely out of the woods. The first wave isn't even over. So it'd be very premature to say we have this under control and there's no risk of it getting out of hand in the future. Axios Sam Baker, who you can follow on Twitter at Sam underscore Baker. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. 
My final two right after this. BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors, those committed to making the world a better place. BridgeBank has been dedicated to providing financial solutions to sponsor-backed emerging technology and growth companies for nearly two decades through its national network of banking teams and offices. BridgeBank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be safe, venture wisely. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is the latest on the merger talks between Uber and Grubhub, which would create the country's largest meal delivery service, just barely eclipsing DoorDash. Bloomberg now reports that the two sides have narrowed the gap on price, but there is still a hangup. Grubhub wants a big payout if the deal gets blocked by antitrust regulators, something called a reverse termination fee. And it's a pretty smart request. Uber, of course, doesn't want to do that which is a pretty smart resistance. The bottom line, political opposition to this deal, which has come even without an agreement being signed, might be working. And finally, the stock market opened flat today and also is preparing for the busiest week of IPO since February. So if you've got an old high school economics textbook, burn it. The basic reality is that equity markets no longer seem to care what's happening in the real economy. That may not make sense, but it is the new normal. Right now, we are in the midst of nationwide protests over race and policing. Over 104,000 people are dead from an ongoing pandemic. Tens of millions of Americans are unemployed. And China, just today, threatened to renege on the phase one trade deal. Under any traditional rubric, any one of those things should have sent stocks spiraling. But this is a see no evil, hear no evil market, and it just keeps chugging along. As I wrote this morning in the Pro Rata newsletter, if you are an investor and you know what's coming next, you're probably lying to yourself. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national Heimlich Maneuver Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata podcast.